This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking to Susan Sarandon about her role as Betty Davis on Feud, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, and it's my pleasure to welcome Susan Sarandon. Thank you. Congratulations on Feud. It's, Thanks so much. It's fantastic. Well, I I haven't seen it, but I'm dining out on everyone else having a good time. So, you I'm haven't happy. seen it? No, no. I'm uh, seriously. People have been reacting in such a great way, and you know, it's always heartbreaking when things are cut or you look at yourself and you think, "Well, I could have done that better or um, more courageously or something." So, I've decided just to. Just dine out on everybody else saying they're having a good time. Well, it certainly looked like you were having a good time. Do you ever watch your own work? Only if I have the ability to change something, one way or another. Uh, then I then I don't. But if I'm looking at an early cut, if I'm a producer looking at an early cut or something, then I definitely then I look. But I find it um, you know difficult to watch myself really. I can see that. And it's over, unless it's not. And then what's the point, right? Well, take me back to the beginning. What made you sign on for the project? Well, Betty Davis has been chasing me since I was a kid. I was offered... She got in touch with me after her daughter wrote the book and asked me to do uh, something about her. And there was no script, and I wasn't really savvy enough to figure out how to make that happen back in the day. And then I was offered a number of plays, a number of other scripts about different times in her life, everything from uh, there was a period where she went to the Hamptons Film Festival and stayed at someone's house and didn't leave for months and disrupted the entire family, and that was a script. There were a couple of plays, one with Joan. Um, And I just, even when Ryan came to me with this as a film, I just felt that it was kind of a one-joke, you know, they're bitchy, and so what, you know. Uh, Then when he revisited it with me as a series years later, um, he seemed to have a handle on it. I love the fact that you could give it a context that was more interesting and had asked bigger questions uh, about Hollywood, about Hollywood now. I loved his incentive to hire half women to direct, and um, so it it just seemed like now was the time I loved Jessica. Um, and I talked to her about it. And though we only had the pilot and one other script, uh, I just decided that it was it was time. 
Talk about those conversations with Jessica. What were those conversations like? What were you did? Well, I said, do you have scripts? Because I'm not mm-hmm. getting scripts. And she <laughs> said, no, I don't have them either. All I can tell you is that uh, Ryan is incredibly uh, enthusiastic, and that's a really good sign, and that he's, uh, you know, really loves this project, and that um, I think the good thing in, in, in surrendering to Ryan is that you know that it, he's in charge, and he's not going to be whittled down by committee. So for better or worse, you have a vision. And I'd always rather, you know, throw my fate in with someone who has a vision than something that's going to be, uh, you, you know, have two, by committee, you don't really have a voice. And I thought that with Ryan, there would be a, a voice. Once you got more scripts, what did you see in what he was going to explore with Betty? Um, well... That's a good question. What did I see? Well, I mean, of course, the the making of was very interesting in in, in looking at all of her uh, um, conversations on talk shows. Um, we had much more in common than I thought in terms of our being outside of the Hollywood um, community and uh, not wanting to... wasn't really comfortable with the idea of being a movie star, but was a real workhorse and um, uh, so I, th- I, th- I just felt that he was going to expose a lot of things that we really didn't know about her and that at the basis of the feud was this pain and um, I also thought it was really interesting that um, just in my career which now has been 50 years um, I've seen a change in women's attitude uh, kind of the generation before me because most of the power structure was male dominated uh, I think they a lot of those women uh, saw other women as their foes as some you know that you had to align yourself with power which at that time was pretty male um, now there's so many women in positions of producing and directing and actors that are women that are able to get projects up um, you know, I, I found Dead Man Walking. I produced that I, as a part, not only for me, but as a conversation piece about that issue. And that was a while ago. So and now it's become even more uh, common. And so I, 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 I've never come across, except maybe watching The Housewives of wherever, where women really, the plot was just being pitted against each other. I see women as understanding in every aspect uh, whether it's political or whether it's in this business of having women as allies. Most of the grassroots groups that I work with are all um, powered by women, with other women. And, um, you know, especially the new... I, I, I am more familiar with the, the, the women that live in New York um, that are in this business, but uh, people are raising kids, people are... Uh, changing their schedule to be supportive. People are telling stories that are more uh, complicated, more uh, diverse, more... Uh, Gina Davis has made an amazing effort to really encourage people to be more imaginative with their casting because that's all it really means is just to stop and think, you know, could this part be... this lawyer be played by a black woman instead of a white male? And once you start asking those questions and casting directors get a little bit, you know, more creative, 
uh, you start to see really interesting um, stories being told. And so, uh, you know, I think that since Betty, I mean, you had, you know, strong women. She, she was a strong woman. I mean, Catherine Hepburn, uh, Joan, you know, but especially taking on the studio system. Uh, you saw people that, you know, women that went uh, against the system back then, too. Um, but in exchange for having a life of your own not um, uh, tied to the studio, I think women have, uh, you know, they, you're more on your own. You don't have the um, head of hoppers of the world that can sell you, and you don't have the studio hiding taking care of you when there's a scandal, for instance. Sure. But it's interesting because TV now kind of has the contracts that these women fought against. You sign on, your series could go for seven years, and you have no control over the script. So I guess that's what's happened now, and, and you know, that, that model has transferred to t- television. But it also feels like TV also has this limited series format where you can reinvent yourself every year. So... Yeah. And Ryan's been a proponent of that very much. No, absolutely. I don't mean those series. Well, I mean, Jessica, how many years did she... She was part of Ryan's, but he's very loyal. Right. Um, But everybody doesn't have um, that kind of say over their TV series if it goes for years and years and years, you know. And so you have to think of that when you're signing on for something. True. The limited ones are fabulous. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why more and more people... And I think television has been the place, starting with the soap operas, where women now have really good parts and tell really good stories and women of color have more stories and so uh, I think with so many platforms it has given there's an opportunity for things to change definitely I mean I feel like TV given that there's all these new streaming platforms all these emerging networks you can find those kinds of stories and it's a welcome place for female creators to come and tell their stories and, yes creators and directors and I, I have a son who's directing now and he's that's where he's finding his inroad also uh, are all of these various platforms that are out there. That are, It seems like every day there's a new platform. Having had this opportunity on Feud, would you explore more opportunities to make another TV series? Yeah, sure. If it, uh, I mean, I would also, I have a book that I'm, you know, that I would, I think, makes a better TV series than a, than a film because it's complicated. Maybe not eight, maybe not 12, but a limited TV series, I think, would, would be a much better place for it than trying to make a two-hour movie where p- things tend to be more simplistic, especially if it's talking about race or inequity of some sort. You know, you don't want it to be the white guys saving the black guys. and You know what I mean? And, and you can make those kind of mistakes. It's very easy. It's hard to do a, a film in two hours that's about a complicated, nuanced subject without falling into stereotypes, I think. It's often said, and it's becoming a little bit trite, but that TV is now the new independent film. Because Oh, I think that's true. Yeah, I think that's very true. Um, yeah, I, I think you have much more opportunity. And there's so many independent films that can't get distribution. And I remember when we did Bernard and Doris for $500,000 and in 20 days. And when HBO picked it up, and they were trying to decide about whether to put it um, as a film, an independent film, or whether or not they would release it 
And I, in my snobby way at that point, was like, well, we want it to be a film. But in fact, it did so well, and so many more people saw it, and it lasted forever. And um, you you never would have found anybody willing to invest that much money to make that a hit, because that's what you have to do, spend so much on advertising. So if you have a little film, you know, where does it go? It's out, and if it doesn't click in two seconds in a theater, it's gone. But if you put it on uh, HBO or some Showtime or wherever, you know, people can find it and they can promote it and it, it has more of a life. Or FX. Or FX, absolutely. <laughs> FX has been amazing, uh, you know, with what the product that they've put out and with so many women, again. Um, let's go back to Feud a little bit. So how much research did you yourself do to find, was that things that surprised you that you learned about Betty? I think, yeah, there was, I mean, I was familiar with her films, of course, but I wasn't familiar with her philosophy. I wasn't familiar with a lot of the details of her life. Uh, And there were many books to read. And there, you know, two of her, that she wrote, the daughter, and there were a number of other books by other people. And then this wealth of TV appearances. She did a lot of talk shows. She did... Um, film festival. She did. Uh, uh, she was honored a number of times, uh, and so with her cigarette, you know, through the years, watching her on all these talk shows, you you got a sense of her sense of humor and her bottom line, and and then you know, reading her books and and talking to you know some people that knew her, but I I didn't find that many that really knew her. But um, yeah, there was tons of research and I kept going back and back you know as the scripts were coming in trying to find things that would be interesting to to film is there one thing that helped you find your way into her character well Ryan does a great Betty Davis so he was very helpful (laughs) I would Um, love to see Ryan's Betty Davis he was fantastic and he knew a lot about her and he loved her Tim Monick, who was my dialect coach when I when Ryan asked me to do it I said it's just so far from the pronunciation is one thing, but the cadence of her, um, the choppiness, the, the idiosyncratic stresses that she put in sentences were just so difficult. And I said I would have to have somebody there on the set. Uh, I'm just terrified. And Tim Monick I'd worked with before, and he ended up working with everyone throughout most of the, the filming. And he would put on my phone... Uh, not performance necessarily, but definitely the lines, which worked until we had rewrites. But um, he he was so great and so funny when he did them, and and uh, I couldn't have I couldn't have done it without without him because uh, for me it was really really terrifying that either trying to make it live in the moment, you know, trying to do justice to her, but to give the audience a chance to enter into who she was without just going, oh, you know, that's a great drag impersonation of Betty Davis, which we've seen so often, but how do you give an audience an opportunity to forget that I'm doing some kind of caricature and to actually be able to enter into the moment of that scene? I think I know Jessica and I both labored over that dilemma for many, many weeks, and I'm somebody who really prides themselves on having fun. It keeps me loose when I'm filming, and I really um, struggled to get the fun-fear ratio in my favor for quite a while. I was just... And also, it was so heavy in the beginning for both of us before some of the other characters kicked in. 
that we had a lot of dialogue to and arguments and whatever that were really fun. I mean, it's it's always so much fun to work with really good people. They make you so much better, and the entire cast you, were just crazy good and professional and. Uh, so we were surrounded by a very rich, rich uh, group of, of of other actors, and uh, you know the costumes, for instance, were so helpful. And Lou's been working with Ryan forever, and and uh, but, but had things copied and fabrics uh, copied, and and uh, you know she was I don't know how she didn't collapse in the heat <laughs> by the end because it really was a lot and we went long we were supposed to wrap before Christmas and you know we were still there in February so it, it we went over and it was people were tired well there was such I a fractured t- foot you oh know, no what I happened it. I just rolled it on the second in the scene that Jess and I have in the booth that long uh, meeting that we have and they had built a you know a track and I had on just nothing shoes and when I got out I just rolled it and I it was very painful but I thought I just I thought I just uh, sprained it and then the next day it was clear that something was really wrong so I had to get it x-rayed and so I, luckily Betty has such a truck driver gait that when I worked with the boot for seven or eight weeks uh, it, it, it they kind of just had to go in and you know, remove it a little bit, CGI, but... Um, it worked. But uh, <laughs> we used it. <laughs> I would imagine, too, you know, coming in and doing the whatever happened to Baby Jane character, like, with all of that makeup and costume, like, that must have been a, ch- a challenge, too, just from the over-the-top nature of it. It was fun to have that mask on for a while. It's very difficult to get it off. So <laughs> after a while, I got, it became kind of... Oh no, we're not in that white face again. And I did a lot of that myself because she did, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to get used to that mouth and everything. But and the recreation scene by scene was a whole other set of skills for everybody because it's like when you're looping something, you have to fit it in exactly right and still have the emotion. But you're in, you know, when you. When that process takes a certain kind of skill. So this was like when you do the looping to match your mouth, but also with the gestures and the timing and the breathing. And so we were would watch on the monitor, and then we would go back, and we would try to replicate not only the exact angles that wow. were shot, and and then sometimes it would get, but also the the gestures and the you know everything, and and then also because it was a film within a film there was sometimes when we would start as if we were in the film but then we would be adding something else and so we had to ask all the time now are we in the film or now are we in the film but not in the film uh, you know when you would see the crew so I have to say that uh, it that was uh, hard for the director of that segment too we were constantly checking and trying to figure out what exactly was happening and you know, when I got her out of the bed, you know, was it the right arm or the left arm, and what was she doing? And it it was tricky, but challenging in a fun way, you know. But I, when that was over, we we, put, I, I answered the phone, FaceTiming my granddaughter. Called me at one point; she's two, and I answered the phone, and all of us, I could see her on the screen, and she just went from being very happy to being stunned, and I realized I was in the white face. Oh, no. <laughs> and she was just 
terrified. And I said, do you like my clown makeup? Do you like? And that didn't help either. And I had, because you forget, you right. know, when you're sitting in your trailer for hours that you're doing that. So then I kind of was able to gauge just how horrifying that look actually was with poor little Marlo. Has she recovered? Yes. Got she doesn't even like it when I wear glasses to talk to her. So you well. can imagine when she saw that and the blonde hair. And I remembered my daughter when we were doing Wishes of Eastwick, and she was a similar age. She was 18 months when we started, and she didn't like the wigs either. She would say, take off that dirty hair. And yet when Jack was at his height of deformed, depraved devil, she would just run right up to him with the hoof and everything else, and she didn't seem to mind at all. And he would say, see, I told you it wasn't scary enough. And it would just be Jack, Jack. So I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just seeing your mom that way. That I think it's, it's a mother disturbing. thing. It's a mother thing. Yeah. How much pressure did you feel for historical accuracy? I was thinking about the line when she gets the call that Joan Crawford has died. I was upset that that was the one they chose. It is historically accurate, but she also said a number of other historically accurate ones which were not that brutal. Most of the time, occasionally there would be a, a condensing of time, possibly, but most of the most of the facts are real. Occasionally, I would say to Ryan, "Did this really happen?" He'd go, well, "In my mind, occasionally." <laughs> but um, so some liberty was taken to, uh, you know, because either the time span was maybe off a little or maybe it wasn't to that exact person but it's pretty much most of it is is actually has 99% truth to it yeah why were you upset about that line because I felt that that was toward the end of the series and of all the things she said you know that it was so brutal and did we really need to have it be that especially in a scene that is so short Mm-hmm. That's what you remember of Betty. I felt that you know it was it was really painting her in a way that she couldn't that that maybe was a little bit lopsided. You know that I would have liked to have had more of her uh, seen. Well, I didn't see it, but I just know what I filmed um, to to have a little bit more complication there than just seeing being so nasty. You know. As a mother yourself, how did you feel about the scenes between her and her daughter? I loved Karen, and I and I and I really wish there had been more of that relationship. Um, uh, for instance, the she found out at the reception that they were already married. That was put into a different scene, and um, that's what I mean. It was true that she didn't know that they got married and they kept it a secret, but I thought it was even more effective that she actually found out at the wedding reception (laughs) that she had spent so much money on and so much time trying to make perfect. But she was devastated by the book. She was devastated uh, by that. That was her companion. You know, B.D. was everything to her. And I would have wished for more scenes exploring that relationship. I think that Kiernan could have, you know, handled it. She really is a strong little actress and, and, uh, um, they were actually with her at the Academy Awards when she lost, for instance. Yeah. And um, uh, so I, I was very happy that you know to have Kiernan and to have the the ones that we had. And 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 I, having read all the books, that for her was one of the, the something she never recovered from was what she felt was the betrayal of 
of her daughter. Um, and even reading the daughter's book, the things that she complained about in her own book, in the daughter's book, really seemed to be minute compared to, you know, some of the things that you could complain about that you read in, uh, I mean, really abusive situations. I think Betty was definite. I'm defending her now. But she was she was narcissistic. She was self-involved. She was the breadwinner. She Her career was very, very important to her. But, you know, to really complain because she keeps talking about the lobsters that she brought for dinner when you're saying that your child has a fever, it just seemed like a whole chapter that really didn't warrant an entire, you know, don't come and visit my children again. And uh, so, and, and Betty was so generous. She had no business manager, and she had part of the reason she kept working was she was just always buying people houses and supporting them. And, and, uh, you know, just had no plan, financial plan, as I guess often, you know, people didn't. And um, the ones that did, like Bob Hope bought up the, or, you know, the all the, orchard, the orchards and things. And then you had people who just went through their money without any attention. And so I wish that there had been more because I feel that that was part of, of, of uh, a real tragedy in her life. And also something that wasn't touched on that I found really interesting was her, because I think some of the scenes were cut, that, that she talks about this in, in Feud, was the, um, you know, there was a whole section about how a lot of her affairs, she said, I'll, I, even if something doesn't look good on paper, even if there's probably a good chance that it will end, I don't want to live my life protecting myself. I want to live my life fully, romantically. And Hedda Hopper said about her, Betty did her best work when she was in love. And Betty said that love was very, very important to her. So sometimes it was an affair with the director, as a lot of these gals did. A lot of gals still do. Um, <laughs> or it was an affair... Um, with a, someone she was working with, or or not, but but all of her really amazing uh, classic performances took place with some kind of a love affair going, which I thought was so interesting because mm-hmm. she seems kind of so tough in a way, but she really Absolutely. was incredibly romantic, and she was a virgin forever. Wow, you know she, and then once that was over, she really went full. <laughs> made up for lost yeah. time. <laughs> she made up for lost time and for her New England prudishness. And I thought that was really interesting. And also, why did she stay in the business? She didn't um, uh, She didn't become a recluse like Joan. So why did that happen? And I think uh, part of what has helped me last so long in the business was that I always saw myself as a character actor, and she did the same thing. She wasn't accepted as a beauty. She wasn't accepted as a movie star. She That was Joan. So when it came time, uh, as age changed her, she kind of went with it more. I don't, I mean, I'm sure, as she said, getting old is not for sissies is one of her famous quotes so I don't I'm not saying it was easy for her but she was a workhorse and that's that's what gave her life structure and she stayed doing that you know until she dropped at a film festival wow. which was perfect and uh, uh, you know went into her 
80s and and there's great actresses now that are working into their you know till they drop too so I like that about her and um because it it kind of ended early we didn't really know uh, the explanation but here you have two women who had been in the business forever and took completely different paths as as they got older and I thought that was interesting too what do you think the state of their relationship was at the end of their lives well it was pretty hard to get over that Academy Award thing. <laughs> yes, that was a big one. You know, even at the end when Joan in Feud says, you know, I'm sorry I wasn't nicer to you, I was thinking, nicer to me? How about that? You <laughs> apologize for completely sabotaging my career at that point. Um, I think that was a big one. And then Betty, when she became producer, I mean, I do think, I've chosen to think that she was trying to make that movie better, but she had, was just so undiplomatic on Hush Has Sweet Charlotte. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, she she wasn't... And, and by that time, they had so much history together that everything... She, she, Joan was very um, passive-aggressive, and Betty was very aggressive-aggressive. And Joan's passive-aggressiveness ju- just drove her crazy. She felt that she had... Uh, had an attitude that she hadn't earned, and it, it just her her grandness just made Betty crazy. And um, so I think by that time they really had so much history between them. But it definitely was exploited, and their feud also became something ironically that they couldn't escape later. That made them more famous. Uh, so. I'm sure they didn't want to be known that way, either of them. But the irony was that that became something, that film especially, became such a cult classic that it renewed their careers and bonded them in a way that they probably wouldn't have wanted to be bonded, you know. So that is what Ryan was so brilliant, of understanding that and understanding that at the base of the feud was this pain that they both had for for reasons that were slightly different but had a lot to do with the business and also they slept with a lot of the same guys and they were competitive in that realm you know so a lot went into it but I I think they could have I choose to believe that maybe they could have worked it out if everybody hadn't benefited so much like they were like the early real housewives of wherever you know they needed them to be fighting they needed them uh, they really fueled the flames of that to to get more drama going and uh, uh, you know it's a shame uh, because I see you know now in the business I mean women are allies of each other and and they produce things for each other and they stand by each other and they they uh, support each other and uh, I think the days are gone where women had to align themselves with men because they had the power Uh, certainly it's still uneven in this business but there are more and more female producers studio heads writers directors everything and I think we have to focus on quality and not quantity when we're talking about how many parts and and all of that business and I think that you know I've yet to ever see a cat fight on a set uh, between women or women sabotaging each other or I don't know maybe it's different in the music business I don't know 
but I, I don't think it's true. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not from the, the West Coast. I mostly know everybody that's on the East Coast, that live on the East Coast in this business, and that's certainly uh, a very generous group of women. Excellent. So one last question. I can't let you go without asking about Ray Donovan. Oh. Just tell me about your character and how I the show is I play the going. head of a studio. Excellent. So, so I get to be all dressed up nicely. Wonderful. I'm from New York, so I'm wearing a lot of black. But um, Can't imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> I will eventually bring Ray to New York. And, of course, I have a secret. And, of course, I need a fixer. And I will eventually own him. So I'm not sure the twists and turns. I've only done a few scenes so far. It's a really fun. I love working with Liev, and everything's been pretty much with him. Um, and I just like the idea of doing a, a, a kind of mysterious character and seeing where it'll go. And and they've been great about uh, when they asked me. I had a lot of family commitments, and especially since I had been tied up here for feud for so long. And I said, listen, you know, I'd love to play but I, I have this and I have that and I have this trip and I this whatever so I can't they said well just give us those dates and they worked around everything and they're continuing to work around everything so it's perfect wonderful well looking forward to seeing what's in store thank and you congratulations again on feud thanks so much it's been a pleasure Thanks for listening to today's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking about the final season of The Leftovers with Damon Lindelof and Justin Thoreau. See you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.